Good morning. How y'all feeling? Hey Amen. That's what's up. I know y'all just sat down. If you're physically able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Appreciate y'all doing that without grumbling and complaining. Because I know if I was your age and I just sat down after standing up for 30 minutes and the dude got on stage and said, hey, would you stand with me? I'm like, no, you stand. Wait, you are standing, so never mind. So the reason I ask y'all to stand with me is because two things, man. I, I really want our generation to have a high reverence of God's word. And then number two, man, we stand when we sing lyrics about our God that are written by mere men. I really think we should stand when we hear the words that God has breathed out for us to receive for nourishment, for conviction, for comfort, for counsel, for care, that we can stand for the reading of the word. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm just going to read one verse, just one verse. We're going to unpack more than that, but just the reading of this one verse. Verse 11 says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Super short. Let me run it back one more again. Just read it one more time, then I'm going to pray. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's pray. Father, as we have sung songs to you that talk about your magnificence, your glory, the reality of salvation found through Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord God, that you would allow the time that we have to dive deeply into the word of God this morning to spur our hearts on, that you would convict us, that you would highlight our blind spots, that you would expose to us the things that we're running from that you want to deal with in our lives. And at the same time, that we would have a greater appreciation for the body of Christ, for our brothers and sisters in the faith, that you have called us, Lord God, to walk in this mission for your glory with. Use me, Father God, to just be a microphone to amplify your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will mobilize every hearer to not just be a hearer of your word, but become a doer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you all for standing with me. So this morning as we talk through the family of faith in the fight of fear, we're going to walk through the family of faith in the fight of fear. There's this idea that we are together, that we are working through this idea of being fear, fearless yet fearful, that, that, that understanding that, man, we want to fear God and have a high reverence for God and everything that Eric has walked you through up until this point. I want to continue that conversation and dialogue as we dive into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But I want to open up with kind of stressing the importance of understanding that the faith that Jesus has called you and saved you into a family. It's not he saved you into isolation or called you to be by yourself. And I think about it even in the environment I grew up. I grew up in a neighborhood where there was gangs, there were drugs, there were shootouts, all that foolishness. That's all I knew growing up. And I knew that I could not walk from 19th Street to 15th Street or 22nd Street by myself because I could easily become a victim. I could easily have somebody roll up on me and take my life. We could have people that would get out of a car and threaten not just to shoot us, but maybe jump us or rob us. So there was always strength in our numbers. So whenever we would go somewhere, we would coordinate, we're going to meet at this corner in this amount of time. Because we knew that even walking to the corner store by ourselves could potentially be a hazard. And growing up in that environment, I gained an appreciation for friends. I gained an appreciation for a group, a clique that I could be identified with because it wasn't just people that I got along with. These were people that I saw as for protection from me. And the understanding that I had with that 
when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and I exchanged my relationship with the non-believing world, I had to walk away from these individuals that I had known since I was in kindergarten. And when Jesus called me to faith when I was a sophomore, almost 16 years old, that was a big responsibility for me to say, I can't be with y'all. I can't do these things anymore. I am leaving the clique. I'm leaving the family because I have been called into another family. And when I received maturity in the faith and I began to continue to grow in Jesus, I would reach back out to my friends and asking them to embrace Christ. And to this day, to my knowledge, not a single one of them has. But there's this idea, there's this concept, this desire that every human being wants to belong. We want to be embraced. We want to be loved. And dare I even say, we want to be fully known. Like we want people to know the no filter us. Like the real us, stank breath in the morning, crust in the eyes, like hair all out of whack, and they still cool with us. They can still get with us. Like the kind of people that you can just be yourself. You don't have to front. You don't have to fake. You don't have to act like something online that you're not. Like you can sit there and be you, and they still like you, love you, and embrace you. God has wired us with this desire to be amongst people who know us and love us and that we know them and love them. And the beautiful reality of the Christian faith is that the Christian faith is the answer for that desire that we have deep down. When we are living in sin, we have that desire and we're going to different sources to try to get that thirst to be known and loved, quenched. But now that we know Jesus, we should look no further than the body of Christ to know that we are a family that is in this fight together. But the problem is when you got family, you got dysfunction, you got issues, you got problems, you got offenses, you've got sin, you've got brokenness. Why? Because we're all broken people. And God has gathered us together so that we can understand our mutual brokenness, that everybody's broken. Everybody's got issues. Everybody has pain. Everybody lashes out in different ways. Everybody has the potential to gossip. Everybody has the potential to be hashtag fake friends. Like, that's the reality that we just got to owe up for. We've got to own that and act like just because we come to Jesus doesn't mean that all that stuff immediately goes away. And I think those tensions that we have in the body of Christ, God allows that to remain with us so that we can then allow our relationships to become more meaningful, not superficial. Because you think about it. When you go through a hard time and the people that stick with you through that hard time, there's a whole different level to your relationship that when that hard time is over, that you have a greater appreciation, a a greater commitment, a greater desire to now open up more of your life. If your parents go through a divorce and the friends that you cling to during that time and you confide in them and you talk to them about the pain, you talk to them about the abuse that you've witnessed, you talk to them about the brokenness. If somebody says, man, here's the brokenness of my story and you become vulnerable and you unveil your heart and you show them these things and they embrace you and love you, there is a bond that God is forming in that relationship with another brother or sister in the faith that allows you to recognize, man, And this is my family. So it's through the drama that our relationships gain depth. And that's what I think we have to understand 
as we approach this passage of understanding that we are in a family in the fight of fear. So you never walk alone. God saved us and placed us into a family. So I think the main point of what I'm trying to communicate is this. God saved us and placed us into a family so we could fight sin together and not sinfully fight each other. Let me say that again. God saved us and placed us into a family so we could fight sin together, not sinfully fight each other. The enemy would love nothing more than us to have fights and fussing with each other to distract us from the overall mission of God. Because if we're tripping with each other and we got problems with each other and we're gossiping and slandering each other and we're not forgiving each other and we're not forgiving as God has forgiven us and we've got all this drama-filled life in our youth group, then guess what? The world around us that don't know Jesus, they are going to stay lost because we're so confused by our own brokenness that the enemy is successful in his mission to make us idle, to make us forget about the reason why we were saved, and that is to make Jesus known to the non-believer. So we've got to deal with these things. That's what I love about the Word of God. The Word of God is written to us in moments of crisis, Moments of confusion, moments of controversy. This is what God did when he wrote the word, when he gave us scripture. An easy way to think about scripture is this. Scripture is like a Netflix series. Scripture is a Netflix series with four seasons and 66 episodes. The most lengthy season is season number three. See, you got season number one, which is all about the creation. Season number two, which is the fall of man, when sin and death entered the world because of Adam's disobedience. Season number three, the lengthy one, is all about redemption. How God is consistently pointing to someone who is going to come and deal with the issue of sin once and for all. And then the closing season is restoration, when all things are put back to the way that God properly ordered it. This passage that we're reading is in season number three in one of the later episodes. And Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So as we have been saved and placed into a family so we could fight sin together and not sinfully fight each other, I think there's three ways that we can do this. Number one, encourage one another. Number one, encourage one another. Number two, edify one another. Edify one another. And then number three, endure together. Endure together. Let me run it back one more again. Number one, encourage one another. Number two, edify one another. And number three, endure together. So we're going to work through those three points. What does it mean to encourage one another. Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, all the way to verse 11, Paul is communicating the hope of Jesus coming back. The reality that there is coming a day when Jesus is going to crack the sky and his second coming is going to be a reality. Therefore, we who know Jesus should live with that anticipation that he could come back and he is going to come back. But the way that that truth should rock us should be seen by the way that we live our lives every day. We must live like he is truly coming back. It's one thing to say Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Like I remember how people when gas price goes up, oh, Jesus is coming back. Donald Trump's elected. Jesus is coming back. The Patriots lost. Jesus is coming back. Like everything is Jesus is coming back. It's true. Jesus is coming back. 
But the signs that show what it looks like before he comes is not Super Bowl statistics. It's not gas prices. Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, you want to know what the sign of the, the coming of the Son of Man is? The coming of the Son of Man. He says the only sign you need to worry about is when I come back. Now you balance that with 1 John chapter 3. And in 1 John chapter 3 it says we who have this hope mean a guaranteed assurance that Jesus is coming back. When we believe that that's a guaranteed fact, then we need to live pure as he is pure. So instead of looking for all the signs, instead of being led away by Illuminati conspiracy theories, and is Bruno Mars and the Illuminati, like, forget all the YouTube theology. You've got to say, how can I live pure because he who is coming back is pure? That's the motivation. So purity in our whole life is what the theme of what Paul is communicating. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Now live like it. How? Live holy and pure and let that be seen in your interpersonal relationships within the family of God. You do that, then the world that doesn't know Jesus will be drawn to jealousy to be brought into the family of God that you are a part of. Legit. Your youth group is a billboard for the family of God. Your home can be the billboard for the family of God that markets and advertises the kingdom of God and what it looks like while we live in the broken world of humanity. So this is what Paul is saying. You're not of darkness anymore. You're of the light. Jesus is coming back. Be sober-minded. And all of that then leads to verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. This word, therefore, therefore is very important because you want to look at all the verses before the therefore to see why the therefore is therefore. You got that? All right. All I'm saying is therefore says he's closing his argument. What is his argument that he's been making? It's just a repeat of everything that I just said from verse 1 all the way to verse 10. Jesus is coming back. You are not children of darkness. Live as children of the light. Keep this in the rhythm of your lifestyle and therefore so the conclusion is because you believe this to be true now encourage one another this word encourage means to come alongside and to comfort somebody like if you see somebody who's crying and somebody has compassion and sympathy they may come alongside them and put their arm around them and walk with them and talk with them to try to settle their heart and calm them down this is exactly what the word encourage means it means to come alongside somebody and engage with them with a heart of compassion to see them encouraged not discouraged it's the word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit because when we are discouraged, he is the one that come alongside us to carry us through the midst of that storm. But he also lives inside of us that we see in Romans chapter 8. So the reality of encouraging one another, the way that it's written is that Paul is saying to continuously encourage each other. It's not a one-time thing. It's not hashtag praying for you and that's it, then I'm done. It's the reality that I want to consistently be a voice of encouragement in your life. I mean, the way that it is written is the same way of your breathing pattern. You inhale and you exhale and you inhale and you exhale. And you've done it hundreds of times while I've been up here speaking. And you're not even thinking about breathe. Okay, breathe out. Breathe in. 
Breathe out. You're not, you do it naturally. That's what Paul is saying. The encouragement that you are to give is in the present tense, meaning it is supposed to be ongoing like your breathing pattern. That you would have such a rhythm of encouragement for those around you that you do it without even thinking because it's naturally who you are in Christ. Because we live in a society and some of us live in homes where all you hear is discouragement. You're tore down. You're not lifted up. You're not built up. You feel you're never good enough for your parents or your guardians. You're never good enough in sports or in academics, in drawing, in the arts. Like everything you put forth the effort for, somebody's always better. Somebody else gets the praise and you feel like you are not worthy. You don't feel like you're good enough. You feel like nobody cares and that wires to your identity. And then you feel like, well, you know what? If I was gone, nobody would miss me. And that's how tempting suicide and depression is. When we are rooting our identity in something other than Jesus. So there's that reality that we need encouragement. We need it as human beings. Because we can only put so many filters on our face when we're face to face with people that we hide the pain that we have to go back to when we go home. When we go to school. When we go to our practice. It's not just about being bullied, that's part of it. But some of us are in abusive situations and you can't get out of it. And you are dependent on the encouragement of others who can weep with you, who can love you, who can affirm you and say, you're not a mistake. You are not forgotten by God. That even you didn't make varsity. You're not less than any other human being because... You don't have this color eye or the texture of that type of a person's hair. Like, don't root yourself in those things that we are to encourage one another. Come alongside them, making the conscious decision to verbally affirm them. But at the same time, it's not just positive reinforcement about their humanity. What you want to give as content of encouragement is a constant reminder of the gospel truth. And what you want to speak to your brothers and sisters in the family of God is the gospel and how it speaks to their identity, how it speaks to their woundedness, how it speaks to their self-mutilation and cutting themselves, how it speaks to the fact that they've been molested, how it speaks to their addiction to pornography, how it speaks to their addiction to popping their parents' pills, how it speaks to sneaking the drinks, how it speaks to playing Call of Duty 38 hours in a row and not getting sleep and not doing homework, how it speaks to every nuance of your life the gospel addresses it and you're not going to hear it from the world you're not going to hear it from the music of the world the only source of encouragement you have comes in two places and they both begin with b the bible and the body these are the only two sources that will give you the encouragement you need for the gospel to speak to your pain See, the reality of what Paul is communicating in verses 1 through 10 is that we have been saved from the wrath of God. So the gospel tells me that when I admitted I was a sinner and I understand the weightiness of my sin, meaning I am a lawbreaker, meaning I don't worship God perfectly, I have addictions. I have identity issues. I have been victimized and it's confused me. And all these things that we're scared to unpack about the real us, Jesus knows all those things. And he still loves us and he doesn't love us any less. 
The reality of when I embrace Jesus is when I recognize I'm a sinner and going to church does not pay off my sin. Going to Awana and scripture memorization does not pay off my sin. Coming to youth group, leading in the worship team, preaching, becoming a pastor, none of those things wash away my sins. The only substance that washes away my sins is the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only acceptable currency that God receives. It's like this. You know when we had that thing in our history called the Civil War? Well, there was a whole currency for the Confederacy called greenbacks. If I were to go to the corner store and get some Takis and hot Cheetos, and I pulled out some greenbacks, they're going to be like, bro, what is that? Counterfeit money? We don't accept that monopoly money over here. It's a form of currency from a conquered nation that no longer exists. So if I go to try to pay with greenbacks, people ain't going to receive it. They're going to be like, no, we take American dollars, homie. That's what we take right here. So you owe me $3.45 for them hot Cheetos and Takis. And we don't want that monopoly money, bro. So either you come with it, you pay with the I, Apple, whatever you got, just give me $3.45. They don't accept that form of currency. All your quote-unquote good works other faiths and philosophies, karma, all these extra things, God says that is not currency that I accept for your sin debt. The only payment that God accepts as acceptable is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The entirety of the Old Testament, setting up the sacrificial system, saying that God is telling his people, if you're going to be my people, you got to be holy. I'm holy. I can't lower my standard to accept y'all. Y'all got to raise up to my standard. But here's the problem. You can't. See, the law tells us you can never be good enough. And the law has no compassion. The law is like that troll on Twitter. Just constantly telling you what you did wrong, constantly telling you what you did bad, never affirming you. That is the law. The law was meant to troll us, not so that we would cancel our account, but rather that we would shut down our account in our flesh and open a new account that Jesus provides for us that says the old me is dead, the blood of Jesus has washed away my sins, I believe by faith everything that he's done is what God requires for my sin debt to be paid off, and I ask him to forgive me and save me. So now when the troll of the law comes at me, Jesus steps in and says, my perfect life now covers them. That nobody can bring a charge against those who know Jesus and see that charge stick Because Jesus' perfect life, the moment we were saved, was put on our account. So we were in debt. The blood of Jesus wiped that debt away, brought us back to zero. But then Jesus is dope because then he direct deposited into our account his infinite credit of righteousness. So when the father looks at me, he doesn't see the dude that used to run the streets. He doesn't see the dude that still struggles with lying as a Christian. He doesn't see the dude that wrestles with laziness. What does he see? He sees the perfect life of Jesus that covers me and all of my issues, all of my problems, all of my sins as a Christian. See, when I was your age, I didn't hear preachers talk about their sin in the present tense. The only time they talked about sin is before they knew Jesus and when they first got saved. So that led me to believe at your age, I'll never be good enough for Jesus. And that is a lie. The reality of the gospel says you can't try to be perfect because even in your effort, it's an imperfect effort. But if you humble yourself and say Jesus is the one who lived perfect on my behalf, 
then I'm free to not try to perform for the love of God because Jesus' performance received God's perfect love, and now that is given to me. You don't have to perform for it. So if you don't have to perform for the love of God, you shouldn't have to perform for the love of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we're making it not just theoretical, but tactile, tangible, practical. It's because when we say to encourage, it means to speak the gospel to your life and live in the freedom that Jesus has given you. One of the biggest struggles that, that your generation and my generation struggles with as Christians is, can I outsend the grace of God? Or I've, I've been to the altar, I've wrote it out, I've burned the paper, I've done everything I can to try to get free from these sins. But I keep falling in them, therefore God stops loving me. When you don't encourage each other, then you believe a false gospel. A false gospel always pronounces condemnation, which means a false gospel says God's love for you has run out. God's grace for you is no longer there. You are no longer in the family of God. The gospel that we see in the scriptures tells us that we have been forgiven for our sins and that the love of God remains unwavering and faithful See, God doesn't love you more when you obey him. And he doesn't love you less when you sin. Think about that. Seriously. Because I, I was 35 years old when I finally understood that. Because I come from a background that when I didn't perform and I didn't win in my wrestling match, my dad withheld his love for me. My dad would abandon me and leave me. So I won state championships. And, I, and I, I was very successful early on because I wasn't winning for the sake of being good and a disciplined wrestler. I was winning so my dad would love me and like me. And I didn't realize that till later in life. But then here's the problem. The problem is I put all of my dad's sin and I charged it to God the Father. So that if you sing a song like you're a good, good father, I wouldn't know what that meant. Because from my father, I knew woundedness, brokenness, and abandonment. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, you're father? You're a good father? How are you a good father? If I sin, you're going to kill me. If I don't live perfectly, you're going to kill me. God, if you're really a good father, then why do you put all these commandments in here for me to feel like I'm garbage and I ain't nothing and I ain't never going to amount to nothing? Really? That's what a good father does? But I had the wrong view. I had to take off the glasses of my woundedness and put on the glasses of the scriptures. What I began to recognize is those commandments are there to show me, no, I'm never going to be good enough. And the story of Jesus tells me it's okay because Jesus lived the perfect life I never could. And then I look at scriptures like Jude 1 where it says, I'm beloved of God. And the way the word beloved is written is that at some time in eternity past, God began to love me, and his love for me remains, and it never changes. That means when I sin, he doesn't love me less. That means when I obey him, he doesn't love me more. When I preach the gospel, God is not up there saying, okay, man, I'm going to raise up my love for you now. Oh, 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 you sinned? No, I'm going to lower my love back down. God is not playing games like that. God wants you to be free from this performance trap. 
God wants you to recognize that he knows your brokenness and he loves you and he wants to make your brokenness something beautiful. He wants to redeem your story in such a way that those who struggle with what you struggle with can see the hope of life in Jesus because of you. Every scar that you carry emotionally, physically, mentally, psychologically is evidence that there is a healer. And the healer then allows you to show your scars to people so that they can see they too can be healed by the healer who is your God, who has saved you into a family and brought you into this place so that you could see what it looks like to live as a family in Jesus on mission for his glory. This is the encouragement we're called to give to each other. I wish somebody would have told me this at 13. I wish somebody would have told me this when I was 15. This is why I communicate this stuff that I learned at 35 so that you don't have to go through what I went through for 20 years of mental torture, thinking God bullies me. God is my slave master. No, God is my father. Jesus is my friend. And those who are believers in Jesus are my family. There is a preciousness that when you get that understanding, that if you can get that at your age, you will be so further than I am when you are my age. And your children and your friends and your parents and your aunties and your uncles, they will see what it looks like to see somebody who is fearless because they understand the gospel. They understand their brokenness and they understand that God is not done with them. So they're fearless to live on the mission of God, but they still have that fear and reverence and awe of the God that they serve. See, the reality then is to edify one another. After we've encouraged one another, he says, and build one another up as you're doing. That word build was, was used to talk about how they constructed homes back in the day. Paul is not telling us to go out and start doing Habitat for Humanity projects only. What he's saying is, no, 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 strengthen each other in your walk with Jesus. Everything that I'm sharing and encouragement should naturally edify you, should naturally build you up. It should give you this confidence in Christ, not in your flesh, not in your giftedness, not in your passions, but in Christ. And then once your confidence is in Christ, he'll open doors for you to leverage your passions, your giftings, your talents, and your abilities for his glory so that you can invite people to come into the family of God, entrance only through Jesus, your Savior. This word edify, to, to build up, is written in the same way, ongoing, not just one time. Keep on encouraging and building each other up. <clears throat> it's not hard to think about what it means to build up because for probably all of us, we know what it means to be torn down. So often in our lives, we've been torn down by the words of people that we love and admire, and they tore us down, whether on purpose or on accident. You know, the little joke. The little things that they say, the comments that they make, the slick little remarks that actually wound us and tear us down, and we don't know how to deal with it. So you understand what it means to be torn down. Building up is the opposite. You're speaking grace, speaking the gospel, speaking the content of God's word, reminding them of what Jesus' work has done on their behalf and who they are in Jesus, not who they used to be before they met him. It's about maturity. Sometimes it's hard for us to realize 
our own growth physically until we look at pictures from previous on our feed. Like I'll never forget when I, I mean, I have kids. I got a 13-year-old that's going to be 14. Jesus, take the wheel. She, she, my teenage daughter, she, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, I got a nine-year-old daughter that is progressing to preteen, and she lets me know that almost every day. And then I got a four-year-old son that's all about Legos. Like, me and him get along cool because it's just, hey, Legos, let's get it. That's all he wants to do. Everything is awesome. Like, that's it, right? So, so I got three different dynamics for my kids. And when I miss them, I go on my wife's Instagram. And I start going through her feed on the gram, and I'm like, dang, I remember when we took that. Oh, my gosh, my kids have grown. I'm with them every day. Sometimes it takes a time of separation for us to realize the growth of other people. Sometimes that's the reality that we even see spiritually. Because you may be thinking, man, I'm still struggling with this sin. Man, I'm still broken by this. Man, I keep running up to the altar every single week. But sometimes it takes the encouragement and the building up from somebody to say, you know what? You were struggling with that six, seven times a day. Now, in God's grace, he's convicted you, number one, of your sin, and you're broken by it. You hate it. You used to love that sin. Now you hate it. That's growth. That's maturity. That's believing in the hope of Jesus. That's wanting to live pure. If you didn't want to live pure, then there's a bigger problem and a greater conversation we got to have. But the reality that you don't like that sin and you want to be done with it and you want to be free from it, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. That shows that you actually love God and you're growing in grace. That's why we have to speak these things to each other, to remind each other, don't give up. Don't lose heart. God's got you, and I'm with you. That's what leads us to endure together. So I'm going to quickly run through what the rest of this chapter looks like. Because in the body life, we need to appreciate and respect the church leadership God has given us. We need to pray for our leaders and our pastors and those who volunteer. Pray for them. Pray for their families. Ask God to give them strength and grace because, listen, it takes strength and grace to allow y'all to come and sleep at their crib, laughing and giggling and farting up until 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then y'all come up in here tired, mad, and angry because you didn't get enough sleep. Like, they got to deal with that. Appreciate them. Love them. Tell them these two words. Thank you. Like, say that. It ain't going to kill you. No hashtag. Legit. FaceTime. Not on your phone, but face-to-face. Hey, thank you. That's all it takes. A little something like that. And listening to their counsel, listening to their advice. But now let's look at our individual behavior. Paul says, admonish the idol. I-D-L-E. It's the individuals who are undisciplined. He is saying, be disciplined in your walk with Jesus. I mean, it's like if you're playing with a squad on Call of Duty and you got the one person that's just sitting there and ain't doing nothing. And you want to just turn the gun and be like, like, oh, like, that's what Paul's saying. Not turn the gun on them, but what he's saying is, wake up. We've got a mission. We've got to accomplish this. It ain't Call of Duty and blasting heads. It's making disciples. Stop being lazy. Ask Jesus to give you a greater desire for him. Beg God the Father to give you his burden for those that don't know Jesus and go and talk to them about Jesus. Like, wake up. That's what he's saying to those who are idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, which means 
keep them going. It's like running cross country, and people would be stationed at different places, and they encourage you, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's what we got to be, man. We got to be each other's cheerleaders, or for the fellas, yell leaders. Like, we got to be that for each other to say, keep going. Don't go back to your old friends. Don't go back to your old life. Don't go back to that website. Don't go back to that stuff. Keep on running for Christ. We've got to help the weak, the ones who feel like, I can't make it. I can't go on. It's too hard. We need to come alongside them and not try to force them to run, but maybe we need to slow our life down, and we need to limp with them as they're limping until Jesus heals their wounded heart, and then we can pick up the pace together in our faith. That's what it means to be patient with your brothers and sisters who are struggling. Don't repay evil for evil, specifically within the context of the body of Christ. What he's saying is when they say something to hurt you, when they front on you in front of people, don't retaliate. Don't get smart aleck right back with them. Don't troll them. Don't bully them. Love your brother and sister in Christ. If they sin against you, Matthew 18, go to them and communicate the sin. Say, you have done this to me, and I'm calling you to repent, and I forgive you. Imagine what your walk with Jesus would look like if you just walked in forgiveness. Because you have been given, forgiven for much. Then forgive those who have offended and hurt you. When you do these things, then you'll be able to rejoice always. Understanding I've been saved from the wrath of God and I'm secure in the family of God. I don't have to fight for pole position. God doesn't play favorites in the family of God. So you can rejoice in good times, in the boring times, or in the times of suffering. Pray without ceasing means to pray frequently. Like, like I know it's flu season, and you know how it is when you have a cough? You don't cough nonstop to the point that you can't breathe. But it's this constant, <coughs> like that, like that, like that. Like that's the constant reality is this. <coughs> Yeah, and man, you know, you know, and like it's that, right? And it gets irritating, and you want to suppress the cough. So you get your mucinex, you get your robitussin, and all that extra stuff that they sell, right? And you go to the doctor because you want to suppress the cough. Well, this is the idea. It's not praying nonstop like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's not that. But it's so frequently like when you have a nagging cough that it's just constantly like throughout the course of your day. It's frequent. It's not seldom. It's frequent. Paul is saying when you're living these things out, you'll be able to rejoice. You'll be able to pray regularly throughout your day, not just before your meals and before you go to bed. That you actually recognize prayer as a Bluetooth to God. And you can consistently communicate, not just inside a church building, but everywhere you go with your Father who loves you. You can give thanks to God. You don't quench the work of the Spirit which means he is purging us with a refining fire, getting the sin out of our lives, getting the idols out of our lives, and calling us to have a greater hunger and thirst for Jesus. And we quench that. We put out that fire of the Holy Spirit's work when we sin and when we grieve him and when we won't confess our sin and when we won't repent as Christians. But the moment we confess, the moment we repent, he turns that burner back on and he is now setting us ablaze for the glory of God, purging us from those things. He says, don't despise prophecies, which means whatever somebody tells you something and they say it's from God, then you filter it through the word of God. You don't just take what people be saying to you. Oh, man, okay, cool. Like, you seem like you love Jesus. I know you wouldn't. No, listen, man, I appreciate what you're saying, but I want you 
to know that I'm going to go to God's word and see where this lines up. And I'm going to speak to my accountability. I'm going to speak to my pastors. I'm going to speak to my leaders. I'm going to speak to my parents if they know Christ. And I'm going I'm to get an assessment of what God's word says. Because there was a time where this girl came up to me, a woman, and I just got done doing a, a rap concert when I was rapping. And she walked up to me as soon as I got off stage and went to the back. And she said, um, here's what the Holy Spirit, this is what God has put on my heart to tell you. And I was like, oh, okay. Bet. Let me hear what God said. She said, God said, he's going to send you a woman. He's going to send you a wife. But until that time comes, you better start living sexually pure. You got to stop fornicating. You got to keep your zipper up. Keep your pants up. Because you on the stage and God ain't playing games with you no more about your sexual sin. And I was like, that's what God told you to tell me? She said, yeah. I said, man, look, I've been married for two years. I've never stepped out on my wife. There is no fornication in our marriage bed. So, awkward. <laughs> then she came right back. Holy Spirit just told me that your mom, who is the greatest threat to your ministry, Jesus is going to save her. Jesus is going to bring her to repentance. And she's not going to be nagging you no more about the giftedness that God has gives you. And then she started saying some different things. And then she said, but, but your mom, Jesus is telling me your mom is going to come to know Jesus. And she is going to be your greatest champion for the ministry God has called you to. No longer your greatest point of contention. And I said, hey, it's crazy that you would even bring my mama up in this joint because, like, real talk, my mama gave her heart to Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade, rest in peace, in 1978. And she's been walking with Jesus faithfully ever since then. My mama is the most godly woman I know on this side of eternity. So awkward. <laughs> and then without even a flinching, she said, well, the Spirit of God is telling me right now that you need to go lay your hands on that white car out there and you need to claim that. God, is, God wants to give you a new car. And I'm like, you know what? I'm straight because we just, we about to have a baby and we got this SUV and I don't need an extra car payment and an extra insurance payment on a new car. Like, I'm legit. And she was just like, well, God bless you. And she walked away. Sometimes those random things happen. You got to know what the word of God says in those moments. You can't be out there all front and like, yeah, I'll be reading the Bible a chapter a day to keep Satan away. Nah, because there's going to be people to come in your face in the church. They're going to say things to you. And you've got to know the story of Scripture so well that you're like, ah, that ain't sitting right with me. Like, man, I, what, you say that, but that kind of contradicts what, what we read in 1 Samuel. And, and then when I think about that, I'm also thinking about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But then when I think of that, I'm thinking of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. Like, you should be like that with the Word of God. You're like that with your favorite songs. If somebody would have misquote a Taylor Swift song or misquote a Kendrick song or misquote, you know, somebody else, you're going to be like, oh, no, that, that ain't how it go. Then you're going to get out Liddy on him and start quoting and showing him how to do it even with an auto-tune. Ah, like you're going to do all that to correct him. But when it comes to the word of God and somebody misquotes it or they quote it out of context, you're just sitting there like, oh, that's what's up, man. Like you don't even know how to defend the word of God. Be so immersed in the word of God. That when you hear falsehood, you call it out. You've got to do that. That's fearless. But yet you have a fear for his word. So as I close, Paul says, abstain from all forms of evil. None of this you're called to do by yourself. Be encouraged. Jesus is not calling you to do this by yourself. He saved you into a family to do this with. Your family, the family of Christ has a legacy 
that spans over three millennia. This faith that you are a part of is nothing new, y'all. This ain't no man-made traditions and religion. Jesus is a historic figure. Those who have embraced Christ after his resurrection have been preaching and making Jesus known, showing salvation as a multifaceted gift, and they have been calling sinners to repentance for over three millennia. The family roots of your faith run deep, y'all. Learn the roots of your family faith. Learn how your mothers and fathers in the faith died to preserve the word of God. Learn how they did not bow to the idols of the day. Learn how they believed this so much that it consumed their whole lives rather than compartmentalizing the Christian faith to a playlist on our phone. Think about these things. Think deeply on these things. Don't wait till you're in college. Don't wait till you're married. Don't wait till you're retired. Do it now. Go all in for Jesus now. And be comforted. You're not alone. You are not alone. There are brothers and sisters your age throughout the world that are living in persecuted countries that don't have the freedom that we have to come into a recognized church building to sing, to make much of Jesus, and then to be encouraged to go and make disciples. They don't have that luxury. Pray for your persecuted brothers and sisters in the underground church that are your age, your age, being sold into sexual slavery, being sold and raped into various people from religious cults and practices, being killed and being tortured because they denied the faith of their family, which is a different religion opposed to Christianity, which they say, this is my death sentence. By embracing Jesus and proclaiming him as Lord, I know that my own family will set me up to be killed. You have brothers and sisters your age that this is what they're struggling with. It doesn't mean that your struggles are not relevant and real. No, they are. They're just contextualized differently to where you live. So if they can endure suffering and pain through that, then with the body of Christ together, you can endure through the pains in your home, through the bullying, through the social martyrdom that you may be facing for being a Christian. You have family that should remind you that Jesus forgives, that he can break those addictions, that you can give your affection to him and no longer things made by men and women. You can really legit love Jesus with all you have. And as you do it, know that you are not alone. Let's pray. Father, as we have heard from your word, it is my prayer that you would consistently allow us to draw near to you, that you would allow us, Father God, to hear from you, and that you would, Lord, posture our heart, Lord Jesus, to take a moment to reflect as we sing about your goodness. I pray that you would surface our sin. And if there are issues of unforgiveness that we have with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, may we go to them sometime today, humble ourselves, call out our unforgiveness, call out the offense that they have given to us, let them know that it hurt us, but let them know that God has forgiven us from much so we forgive them for what they have done. Heal the broken relationships, empower those who know you. And if there's any here that don't know you, May they be so enamored by the gospel that they say, I am a sinner, and by faith I receive Jesus. Draw them, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Shoo, it's awesome stuff. Um.
Yeah, we don't know where you are, um, where this is coming, or how this is impacting you. Um, man, what's the Spirit saying? Where are you present? And like, what's Jesus doing in your heart? Um, man, I want to I want to pray for us, and you can pray for the people next to you. And um, man, let's just let's think, let's run to Jesus, let's see what the Spirit is doing in your heart. And um, if you need somebody to talk to, you can talk to your community group leader, talk to somebody. But um, man, let's think, let's ponder. I want to pray, and then I will keep going. Okay, let's pray together. God, you've been so good to us. God, thank you for the cross of Jesus and saving us. God, us, we're at the people in this room. We, we are your church. We're the body. God, I just pray that we are in this together. God, for every heart in this room, I pray that you speak and you lead and that the students and the leaders would have the, the courage, the boldness, to follow and, and, and to have open ears to listen. So God, we thank you for your grace, what you've done. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all can be seated. Hey, continuing on, we're going to uh, have a quick interview like we did at the beginning. I have two friends somewhere. There they are. Two friends coming. Um, yeah, give it up for them. Whoa. There you go. Hey, so we're going to interview you real quick, talk about some really, really cool things, and then um, get some lunch. Everybody cool with that? That's right. Um, so I have two friends with me. Um, just quick, tell them who you are, um, just something about you and what you do, and then we'll get into it. Thanks. Uh, I realize... We're the only thing standing between you guys and a chicken sandwich right now, so we'll, we'll make this quick. Uh, my name is Andy Gilbert. I'm a, actually a member here uh, at Tri-Cities Baptist, and I work for a missionary organization uh, called Send International. I'm Abby Gilbert. I'm also working for Send International along with Andy. Awesome. Um, hey, so they're going to be talking about some different things, and a lot of this is in the Ghost Center as well. And so um, we have different things on there that's just going to help. Um, just you process some, some cool things that um, we're talking through. And so everything that they're discussing, and they'll be in the Ghost Center later if you want to ask questions. And so just be thinking about these things. If something's intriguing, you have more questions, man, there's tons of more stuff in the Ghost Center, okay? So they're doing stuff with SEND. So just, we're, just explain SEND, um, maybe define unreached people group as we talk about unreached people groups. What is that? Um, and just what SEND does with missionaries. Yeah, so how many of you guys, show of hands, know what, when I say unreached, know what that means? Okay, good deal. So if you're in here and you're just like, oh, no. Um, so an unreached people group is an area, a uh, people group, uh, that is 2% or less evangelical Christian. And so um, quick math, out of 100 people, two of those people uh, in that group would be Christian. And so these are um, people that have little to no access to the gospel, uh, they're in hard-to-reach places, and so there's a reason that they are unreached. There's usually a dominant religion, uh, some other sort of uh, government oppression, something else going on that's causing the gospel not to be spread in these places. Uh, and it, just to give you a, a, a quick stat as to how many people that is, that adds up. Those unreached peoples add up to about 2.4 billion 
people in our world. So we've got about 7.2 billion people in the world. So 2.4 billion are in these unreached places. And so uh, one of the things that SEND uh, prioritizes is sending long-term missionaries into these unreached places uh, to go and live among them, to learn whatever language it is that they speak, uh, to work among them, uh, to build relationships with them, to love on them, to care for them. And out of those relationships, out of those opportunities to, to get to know them, uh, we hope to be able to share the gospel with them. And we invite them in for uh, Bible studies or just, you know, uh, reading the Bible together over coffee. And over those, uh, over those times, we hope to be able to build a church to share the gospel, to see Christ known in those places and for the church to be built. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard to think about um, entire peoples, people groups, and never hearing the name of Jesus. Um, and we talked about that some with the interviews at the beginning of just, um, man, there's peoples around the world who have no access to the gospel, have no access to the stuff that we're celebrating right now. Um, and something we want for you guys so much is that that would just raise awareness for you of just, man, there's tons of people who have no access to the good news of Jesus. And for a lot of us, that's just numb. Um, and it's just numbers, maybe. And I just, we pray that that would not just be um, numb. That would not just be numbers for us. That there, that would be faces of people who are going to live, they're going to be born, they're going to live, and they're going to die apart from Christ. And, and that's what we desire, desire for you guys. And so, um, Andy, Abby, I know there's a lot of people in here, even myself, we have tons of fears thinking about missions, and Derek even said it was really cool at the beginning of this stuff is like super Christians, and the people that plant churches, the people that go across um, the ocean to make disciples, those are the super Christians, or we have fears of moving across the sea, or well, whatever, um, there's tons of fears in this room. Um, what have you guys encountered with just the biggest fears of doing this stuff? Um, biggest struggles there, and just how do you encourage people in that in that way? Yeah, one of the the primary role that we have as send is to to meet with people who are feeling that tug on their heart to go. Um, and so, whether that's taking a short term trip, whether that's maybe going overseas uh, for the rest of their life, uh, wherever they're at, uh, we meet them right there and try to figure out, okay, how can we push them forward? How can we help them to wherever God's leading them to go? And um, there's the fears can be. Um, so, so general from, uh, there was a couple that we sent to Japan uh, that lived in Alabama uh, this past, uh, last summer, and they'd never been on a flight before. And so I'm, I'm on a Skype call with them, and they're asking, like, can I take medicine on my carry-on? I'm like, please, take medicine in your carry-on. Uh, can I bring my pocket knife in my carry-on? Please do not bring your pocket knife in your carry-on. Um, little things like that. I mean, those are, those are fears. Those are unknowns of people that have never taken. Um, they want to know, and they just need somebody to help calm, calm them down. And what's it going to be like when I get to the field? Or what, if, what if I don't know the answers to everything? But um, honestly, the biggest fears uh, that I want to talk to you guys about and, and actually was just kind of mentioned there in the, in the message was this feeling of I'm not good enough to do something like that. Um, that I'm not equipped or that God can't use me to, to make a difference in something like that. I mean, um, we've had the opportunity to take a few trips ourselves. There's, there's nothing, uh, nothing special or superhuman about us. And, and having worked with missionaries, they are, they are just people. Uh, they, are, they are no different. And I think God gets the most glory when he calls the average, uh, the least 
uh, to do a work because he gets the credit for it. It's a work that can only be um, given uh, credit and glory to him. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're out there and you feel like, man, I can't do this, like, that's a good thing because you probably can't. Um, because if you feel like you can, your world's going to get rocked when you, when you go into a cross-cultural context. And so um, God is, if, if, you were, if you were a Christian, uh, God wants to use you uh, for the benefit of his glory among the nations. And so that, that can happen um, no matter what your talents, skills, and gifts are. That's really good. Um, yeah, I think we all wrestle with that just super Christian stuff, um, those people, um, those real fears of not being good enough. Um, the, when you're talking, the first thing that came to my mind was in Acts, um, when there was persecution of the church and, and the disciples scatter, it pick, that's in Acts 8, and then in Acts 11, it picks back up with the story, and that those, the, those disciples who scattered, um, it said they scattered everywhere, and everywhere they went, they were telling everybody about Jesus, and that church is, one of the churches that were started was the church of Antioch, and church of Antioch is just a bunch of disciples that started, we don't know their names, just regular, ordinary people. Um, on mission for Jesus, and that church at Antioch ended up sending out Paul, and so one of the greatest missionaries. And so this is awesome what you're talking about, just this idea of being good enough or whatever. Um, man, the mission, making disciples, is for ordinary people, ordinary disciples of Jesus. And so um, just wrapping up real quick. So we have middle schoolers in here, high schoolers in here, college leaders in here, adults. Um, just what's what's next step? Well, how would you encourage a next step thing um, yeah, in, in different areas of, of these people's lives. So we just want to encourage you, if you call yourself a Christian, you are also a missionary. And that's either going to be in your school, or if you're one of our leaders, it's in your church, or it may be in Uganda, it may be in Croatia. Your job now is to pray and just pour over the Word of God. Um, going back to what he said earlier, you, the most important things and the most important place to find your identity is the Bible and the body. So I encourage you just to get into the word, do something simple, take like a couple months and follow the word nations all through the Bible and see God's heart for the nations. And as God changes you and gives you a new identity in him, he will make your desires his desires and his desire is for the nations. That may be praying on your knees for, just as he mentioned, those persecuted people all over the world. It may be grabbing your community leader while you're here or going back to your church and asking some adult there or some college student that you know is walking with the Lord, what do I do? Can I go on a mission trip? Don't think that money or time is going to get in your way because if you go to the Lord and you say, I'm yours, send me to whomever, if that's across the street or across the ocean, he is going to honor that prayer, and he's going to blow it up, and it's beautiful. And you have a ton of people here and at your church that want to come alongside you. So think about this summer. Like, what can I do? What kind of Bible study can I be in to get my heart geared for the, for the nations? Or where can I go? Talk to people and pray, 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 and God will talk back. Yeah. Um, hey, can we say thank you one more time, please, guys? They'll be, uh, they'll be hanging out, and so if you have questions, feel free to come talk to them about SEND or just um, missions or whatever. Um, they'll, be, they'll be hanging out for us. Um, would, you guys, would you mind praying for us and just send us out of here, about to get lunch, pray for the meal and everything. But yeah, just, man, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss these conversations. You as a middle school student, high school student, college leader, adult, I mean, you have part in the mission of God, the global mission, the global purpose of God as a normal, ordinary disciple of Jesus. 
And so don't miss these conversations. Don't miss the opportunities of the Ghost Center that you can go chat and find out more. And so, yeah, so Andy's going to pray for us, and then I have some more instructions for us, all right? Father God, we just uh, thank you for this morning. Um, We thank you for the message. We just pray that 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 just continue to uh, seep into our souls and our hearts throughout this this weekend. You continue to do a work in us. You continue to move us forward in our walk with you. And and God, we will not see our value in the world, but we will see that in in you. We will better understand what it means to be uh, your child. And God, if there are, are some in this room that, that don't know that yet, God, you will continue to, to stir, make yourself known uh, to them in a way that they will, um, they will, they will come to know you, that they will um, put their faith and trust in you. And uh, God, just continue to be with our um, leaders throughout this weekend. Give us all um, strength and ability to, to stay awake and, and go strong and um, just to bless this food and let it nourish our bodies. It's your name I pray. Amen.